2: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here to talk about another less-than-normal week for Tottenham Hotspur. I guess we wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, before we get started, just to get the regular podcast business out of the way, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, if you haven't done that, you're very mean, and you should. And also follow us on our new Twitter account, although I guess it's not so new anymore, but follow us at our Twitter account, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Before we get to the many assorted dealings of Tottenham Hotspur this week, I think we would be remiss if we did not start by sending generally good vibes away of Christian Erickson. Uh, you know, Erickson has been a player at Spurs for a while, but we still love him. Um, and even if we didn't, that was pretty awful to watch. And, you know, we're very happy that he's recovering and feeling better. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, but you know, I think we're glad that he's doing better.
0: I just wanted to get well soon and hopefully he's able to uh, make a full recovery and, you know, whatever that means for him, whether that means, you know, him continuing to play football at, at this level or, or just being happy and healthy, whatever that means for him, I just wish him the best.
1: Yeah. it's just shame. it's a shame for his career to end like this, which it probably will. You know, I think his time at Spurs fizzled out in a way that I think was a little uncharitable to the kind of player he was and, for him not to get the opportunity to kind of kick on to, I think, where, I think he still had more to give on the pitch. But obviously that pales in comparison to his health, and, you know, I'm just glad he's okay. That was a horrible thing to experience for him and for everybody watching who loves him. So, yeah, um, we are here to talk about Spurs. Um, I don't have
2: a good way to transition for that, so I'm just going to do it. Uh, I am joined by most
1: cynically like UEFA and somehow parlay this into some money making enterprise. <laughs> yes, please. To,
2: if you want to hear more tributes <laughs> about Christian Harrison from Wheelie Deal Radio, please visit our GoFundMe. Uh, now, I, I am joined this week, as always, by my two co-hosts, uh, Ben Daniels and Brian Ashlock. Guys, we have a lot of insane stuff to talk about. I don't know if it is any more or less insane than the stuff we have been talking about for the last few weeks at Tottenham Hotspur, but it sure feels that way. Uh, let's let's lead off. Uh, I guess the big news, which the big news comes in two parts, I guess. We have named um, Paratici our new <laughs> director of football. And by all accounts and reporting, it seems like he has been given a level of authority that previous directors of football, such as Camoli and uh, Baldini, were not given. Uh, it really, I, I don't know whether I believe this or not, but it really seems like Daniel Levy is going to take at least somewhat of a step back, uh, which is... Something that a lot of us have been asking for, and it's interesting to see it finally happening. And strangely enough, his big first decision at Tottenham Hotspur is to hire Paulo Fonseca as our new manager. I don't know where really to start with this, but it was quite an interesting couple hours in Tottenham fandom, because, I don't know, the the, the Fonseca hire did not land well, let's say. Uh, Ben is perhaps the most vocally unsatisfied with where Spurs have been over the last few years. How did, I mean, I guess we'll get into the Paratici stuff in a little bit, but let the Fonseca stuff, I think, is the best, is the big news, even though it hasn't been confirmed. How did that hit, hit you when it was first announced?
1: Yeah, poorly, I think. And I think, honestly, cynically, that's probably why he hasn't been announced yet, to give everybody a little bit of time to digest and come around to accepting this news before it's official. Um, because, you know, we'd had... A wild week of rumors of, you know, Antonio Conte and Mauricio Pochettino. Um, and then making our peace with going back to a guy like Eric Ten Hogg, who we'd kind of wanted at the beginning and then felt sad about after, you know, those bigger names were linked. And then once we made our peace with Ten Hog, the rug got pulled out from under us again. And now we have this other guy who, you know, Roma has just fired to hire Jose Mourinho. Um, And none of that was feeling very good. Um, But I think after a a week of space, I'm feeling better about it. And I think we can get into the merits later, but I want to know how Brian feels about having a poor man's Jose Mourinho.
0: Yeah, I think the, the trading him for Jose Mourinho is actually the part that, like, makes me the most suspicious of it. Like... I understand that Roma's maybe not the most well-run club in Italy, which um, (laughs) makes them not the most well-run club in a lot of countries, I suppose. But, yeah, the fact that they were like, nah, this guy, not any good, we're going to dump him. And you know who is good? Jose Mourinho. That makes me suspicious, but also, I guess, obviously the decision-making is bad, so maybe it's fine. Like, I I don't know. There's a lot of competing feelings about that so I, I don't know uh, I think if he'd have you know if Roma hadn't done what they did at the end of the season if they'd have just you know finished fifth and kept Fonseca on and they were going into the off season with him as their coach I wouldn't have that one little hang up about it I'd, I'd probably have other hangups that I could manufacture but the the Jose Mourinho one is a little bit Concerning.
2: I mean, the were you know, things is going to stick in our crawl because we were definitely going to draw them in the conference league before. We are absolutely going to draw them in the conference league now. It, 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 I mean, I think that's probably a bit of a weird coincidence. I mean, to me, I think what is concerning about this hire, even after the distance, is the process involved in it. Now, on its face, this is we actually got, and, and what I think is actually a little funny, considering how angry we, a lot of people were when this was announced, we got exactly what a lot of Spurs fans asked for here. We hired a director of football. We allowed the director of football to pick his guy and hire him. And you know it was Paratici's guy because who else would have, would have thought the Spurs were going to hire Paulo Fonseca? The thing that concerns me is we were deep into a managerial search before that. We drew up candidates in the preseason. And during the season, we were as Ben said, chasing down some pretty high profile names you know, in the immediate aftermath of the season and you know that Paratici was not involved in this, I, I don't know if that is a product of his contract at Juve or just where we were, but that we suddenly, it seems like we decided after a few weeks, like, you know what, this isn't working, let's just go with the director of football we found and I know it is almost assuredly more complicated than that, but the fact that it doesn't seem like it seems like we were looking for a manager and then going to hire Paratici which seems a little backwards so I'm a little concerned about process I don't think it ended in a super bad place because I think if we're all being honest with ourselves while he's not maybe as sexy as some of the other names or as familiar as some of the other names he's probably in the roughly the same ballpark as your 10 hogs and potters maybe better than some worse than others but He's probably about as good as those other managers, those non Pochettino and Conte managers we were being linked to. So, I don't know. Process is what concerns me about this. But I guess if we've settled on Paratici's our director of football and we're just going to move forward with that and stick with that, then does it matter so much
1: what happened before? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a story you can tell about the process that's actually really positive. It's, you know, we didn't have infrastructure in place to have a good managerial search as evidenced by how bad our managerial search was and then we brought in a director of football to sort these things out, and then he promptly sorted it out. And, yes, he sorted it out with a guy who maybe wasn't on anybody's shortlist before that and maybe wasn't on any fans' wish lists. but it's the guy that he seems to want, and Levy is decisively backing that decision. And that's what you want in a relationship with the director of football is the trust from the chairman to say, I've hired you to oversee football operations. This is a football operation, so go nuts. And, you know, that's what we're getting. For better or worse, it, it, you know, it will be revealing about how good Paratici is at his job, uh, if Fonseca is good or not. And it will be telling how we respond to, you know, if Fonseca is bad, what does that mean for Paratici? Does he get more rope to make other possibly bad decisions, or do we throw it all out and start all over again? You know, I think those are the questions that are really going to, we'll find out in time. But I think, up to now, from hiring Paratici to letting him pick the manager, is normal good in a way that we haven't been in a minute.
2: But it is weird because I think whatever other, consideration, it's weird. What, what other, other considerations are in with Fonseca, whatever other values he brings as manager, clearly part of the way we hired him and the way we picked him is he is someone we can move on from with relatively little difficulty if we want to in a year or two. I think his contract only runs till twenty twenty three. I think there's an option, or yeah, I think twenty twenty three, and I think there's an op- through twenty twenty three, and there's an option in there if we want to extend it. But we are not paying him so much that if Pochino comes on the market, or we just think he sucks, that we just can't move. I mean, this isn't going to be like Jose Mourinho, where we got to hope Roma takes him off our hands. Like, we can fire this guy and not pay a lot of money if we want to. So I think that's obviously part of it.
1: Right, and then the negative look at, at that is, well, he was cheap, and that's why we hired him, and he's disposable if it doesn't work out. So, you know, I think we can all tell ourselves whatever stories about any part of this that we want, and it would probably be plausible. And you know, I think, I don't know, I I, I like to try and not do that, but it's hard, right? Like, well, it's it's yeah,
2: I think we're we're talking about on this podcast the sort of journey that all Spurs fans or a lot of Spurs fans have been through with this, which is. Fonseca, what the hell? Who like who is he? Why are we hiring him? I mean, this is discounting intern managers. I can't remember the last manager we hired who was so obscure. I mean, since, since before Harry Redknapp. I mean, Martin Yole maybe. I I, I don't know. Like I mean, we we we've swung very big on our managerial hires for almost a decade. I mean, Pochettino was a little bit of a. Obviously, he worked out very well. He wasn't, like, a super sexy hire, but I think he was probably a, a more rash, a more, I don't know, a more it's high profile. of a known quantity. Yeah, more of a known quantity than this. I mean, this is, that's part of what makes this so weird. Like, I mean, this is a far cry from taking your bet on the next, like, wunderkind out of Chelsea or, you know, hiring Jose Mourinho or Harry Redknapp. Like, it, it, this, is a, this is a big departure from the way we've done business in the last... 10 years, which might be the thing that tells you this is Paratici's move.
0: But I don't think that it's, like... I, I think the step from going to Roma to going to Tottenham Hotspur is not as big a step as going from Ajax to Spurs or Brighton to Spurs or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, Roma for... You know whatever their recent level of success is, they are one of the biggest clubs in Italy. There is an immense amount of pressure um, on that club and in that managerial role. Uh, you know it is it is a and it, and it is different from Ajax, which are as we've discussed at length on this pod, who are frauds um, <laughs> and not important on a global scale. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know it, it 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 is in Serie. A, it is it is one of the big teams in the league and you know while they are not a juventus they're not you know a perennial top 10 top 15 team in the in the in europe they are very very good and that's probably like if we're being honest with ourselves that's the type of quality of manager that spurs are probably generally looking at if you're going to make you know, a hire that's not some sort of quote unquote sure thing, or like Greg said, the German Wunderkind, like a Nagelsmann or whatever. So, like, like I think if, the, like I said earlier, if this had ended with Fonseca not being fired by Roma and replaced by Jose Mourinho, you're like, oh, we hired Roma's manager, and he plays attacking football, and, you know, he took him to fifth, and there was one point in the season where they were, like, second, and then he got killed by injuries. You'd be like, Yeah, all right. That seems fair. Um, So I think you know, to me, I I think this is. While it is weird because you know, I think a lot of us talked ourselves into Ten Hag or Potter or I don't even remember Conte or Pochettino. Like it's it's, uh, there's been so many guys. Um, You know, I think Fonseca is right on that level, and and honestly, if, if we look at it, I think you know he's probably in terms of overall experience a, a little more experience than than ten hog in terms of managing at big clubs managing at clubs with lots of pressure lots of expectations um so i i think you know this could be good
1: I and mean, like you said we've talked ourselves into a lot of guys already there's no reason we can't talk ourselves into this guy
0: Absolutely, that's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes, I'm sure.
1: Well,
2: I mean, if you think about Fonseca, it's like, you're talking about an attacking manager who got Roma playing some fun football, but was undone by injuries and generally a kind of a messy club culture that was put under specific pressure by COVID. I mean, what does that sound like?
0: I mean, mean, good thing we have great club culture.
2: Yeah, either that means he's a very appropriate manager for us, or... I'm a little worried that he's just going to run into some of the same problems here that he ran into Roma, which is not his fault, but, you know, so either he's ready for them or we're just going to see what happens when they happen to him again.
0: But I mean, I think the thing we all you also have to keep in mind is he was very successful at Shakhtar. Um, You know, he he won the double all three seasons that he was there And, and like, yeah, I know Ukraine is, you know, a two team league but they hadn't won it the, the season or two before – they hadn't won the league the season or two before he got there, and then he took them to three straight league titles. So, you know, and then, and then they did pretty well in European competition. So if nothing else, that's at least as good as doing well at Ajax.
1: Right, exactly. It's the same story you tell yourself about Ten Hag is, oh, well, it's a two-team league, and he won it and did okay in Europe. It's like that's, that's the exact same story. Yeah. it's just IX is a lot fancier sounding than Shakhtar when they have the same equally irrelevant football oh, club one, on one no club
2: has more Brazilians and that's that's the real difference <laughs> so neither club plays in where plays in the stadium that Shakhtar Donetsk is supposed to play in so it's
0: true but but yeah and so like I I think if if you look at that and and, and I'd talk myself most into Ten Hag. So, like, th- that's the hire that I keep comparing this to. And I'm like, he's basically two years more advanced. He's got the two years at Roma under his belt. Um, and...
2: and he succeeded in, Por- in, in Portugal. So, it's...
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I just... Uh, I, I think this is going to be fine. And I think that's kind of where I was on the Pochettino hire, where he was kind of, like, our second or third choice. And I was just like, eh. This will probably be okay. So, you know, if it works out about as good as that, I'll be fine. I think that'll be great. There's a level that – we talked about this a little
2: bit last week where if you take Conte and Pochettino off the board, you're not left with a great choice. I mean, there's not a no-brain hire. There's not a steady, solid hire. In the way that, you know, I I think, I mean, you you guys tell me if I'm wrong, certainly going back to Harry Redknapp or when Harry Redknapp was fired, I think it was the first time we've hired a manager since then where there hasn't been sort of, I think there's not a great name on the market um, that, you know, really fits Spurs. And, you know, if you consider that, you know, I mean, I think Fonseca offers enough positives where it's worth taking a shot. And also, he doesn't tie us down if, Either, you know, it doesn't work out or something, you know, Pochettino does wriggle out of his PSG contract in two years and wants to come back and doesn't want to go to Real Madrid for some reason. I mean, it's, I think this hire works for us in a lot of ways.
0: And honestly, the people that were upset about, hey, Antonio Conte doesn't fit the remit in terms of, you know, they didn't like the style of football he played. If you guys want attacking football? That seems like that's what we would get under Fonseca. Is you know we would get just attacking football and maybe no defending. So Spurs fans that want you know to win matches four three, here we go, guys. Buckle up.
2: Before we get, I want to get a little more into Fonseca in a second. But one last thing, sort of about the circumstances of his hire that I thought was very interesting is whatever you think about Fonseca. As a hire. I think one thing you can say about him is this is not a hire designed to placate Harry Kane. And, you know, I think that's exactly what we were doing when we hired Jose Mourinho, especially when we hired Jose Mourinho. I think that was probably had something to do with why we were sniffing around Antonio Conte. I don't know that for sure, but I would put money on that. I don't know what you guys think of that. I think it is interesting that we are not even pretending You know, I mean, I'm not saying this means we're going to sell Kane, but I think it's interesting that we're not even, I mean, I would be, you know, I I suspect he was not consulted on this hire, and I think that's a change of approach for this club.
1: Well, I mean, I think the the two points you just brought up kind of go hand in hand. There is no other manager of that name caliber like Conte or Pochettino um, on the market, and those are the only kinds of managers that are going to be, you know, the kind of Kane appeasement that you can hire. You know, anybody else is going to be either you hope Harry Kane likes him when he gets to training, or you've decided to sell him. And there's one it. other name
2: that would make Harry Kane a happy little camper: Carrot Southgate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fuck off! No, I'm not kidding. If, I'm we were, if we were if we
2: were 100% committed to keeping Kane around, we
1: would hire Southgate. <laughs> That's true, but after he crashes out of the Euros. Um, in the in the round of sixteen, <laughs> I think it's going to be a much harder sell. Um, yeah, I think the other thing about Fonseca's sort of experience at Roma that makes his sacking a little more easier to swallow. To pivot back to that, is that you know they they were very undone by injuries, and they don't have the kind of transfer budget. You know, th- their attacking front line was Henrik Mkhitaryan, Edin Dzeko, and Pedro. Like that is a Premier League retirement home for, like, the sad and washed up, if I've ever heard one. And, you know, they were still a very exciting attacking team, even with that constraint. And so, you know, you look at the kind of climate he'll be coming into at Spurs, and yes, we're not going to be flush with cash this summer, as as the rumors have already taken great pains to point out, but, you know, we're working with a core of players that is much more... uh, ripe <laughs> than, than, than the guys that he was dealing with at Roma and you know you have to wonder what he can do with a level of talent that exceeds what he's kind of had to deal with in the past well like you
2: said Ben like think about we. we I, I know it's something I was saying a lot towards the end of the season under Ryan Mason but I mean ignore the defense for just a second you know you've got Son, Kane, maybe Gareth Bale, I mean Birdvine, uh, you know Lo Celso, Indomble, Delhi, like, I mean, get someone who just, all they do is take the handbrake off of those players. And we'll probably see something fun.
1: Right. So, you know, it could work.
0: Yeah, I mean, the it Roma squad work. is definitely not the most interesting team that they've had in years. I mean, you you have Federico Fazio and Chris Smalling played a lot of games for them. Uh so you know the fact that he got them to where he got them, and you know, Paulo Lopez is their starting goalkeeper. You know they still give minutes to, or he turned Jordan Veretout, who flamed out at Aston Villa, like you know he turned him into like a, an amazing Serie A midfielder. Like I, you know, there's no reason to think why that with better players we wouldn't see better results.
1: Yeah, and, you know, some of that may be just an indictment of Syria having just had their title won by a team of Premier League retirees, but, you know, I'll, I'll look at that optimistically.
2: I mean, there's the, that's the hope for, for Fonseca, is just that he's going to turn these guys loose. By all accounts, he, by all the stuff we've heard about him, I, or at least I've read about him at Shakhtar and Roma, and I think it speaks, what the guys at Roma said about him, I think speaks really well when considering how last year went. This guy is well-liked in the locker room, is very professional. You know, After the last year and a half, I think we're going to have a lot less of a messy team dynamic, which is probably part of the reason he got hired. Isn't I mean, it? he looks
0: good in his Zorro mask.
2: Does he look good? I don't know. There's a bunch of Spurs fans who shall remain nameless on this podcast who think he's a handsome guy. and
0: mm, oh, no, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, but I would
2: disagree with that, too.
0: There are also a bunch of you that thought Pochino was very handsome, so I don't know. Freakable. This
1: is, this is anti-Portuguese discrimination. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For tearing um, down your statues of Ronaldo. Ben.
1: <laughs> so should we talk about like the way he plays, or um, should we just direct people to go read stuff on the internet and watch I videos? To <laughs> be as equally informed. We could talk about
2: it a little bit. I mean, what what excites you most about what you've read about him, Ben? I don't think any of us are going to profess to be Shakhtar aroma enthusiasts on this podcast.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, in broad strokes, the way that he plays a very possession oriented attacking style of football with some pressing thrown in is very much the kind of football we've gotten used to seeing under Pochettino and I think we'd all like back, um, you know, not that I'm not open to other exciting forms of football, but it's it's like a warm blanket and it's a kind of football that our squad seems pretty, pretty equipped to, you know, to playing. They played like, they, they play a similar style under Pochettino in broad strokes and you know, we have the kind of personnel suited to uh, a three, four, three system that he has adopted lately in Italy. Um, You know, it seems like what he brings to the table is a good marriage with the personnel that we have. And that to me is exciting because, you know, we dragged this manager search on really long. We have the Euros and the Copa America to contend with this summer, and we're going to have a pretty truncated preseason. Um, and so, anything that makes sort of mapping his style onto the players as easy as possible um, is going to be an advantage, I think, for us. I think
2: going to what you said, but it's focusing on a specific position, what was exciting me a little bit is how he's going to work with our fullbacks. Like, I know that, like, Aurier's probably going to PSG this summer. I know there's some. Turnover at the right back position, but at least on our left back position, like I mean, he this is a guy who likes to get his fullbacks forward, can use them to attack for Sassinyan and Regulon. I think that is a very exciting prospect, and even I mean, I would hope that we have other options there, but you know, got we might be able to squeeze something out of um, Doherty on the on the right side. I mean, he's a, that, that at least seems like a system he is better utilized in, especially if we're playing three at the back. I, I don't know. I think, like you said, Ben. Generally speaking, I think one thing after a year and a half of Jose, who whatever else you say about him, I don't think you utilize what this squad was truly good at. I think this is a squad that, with with at least in the attack, with very few tweaks, is able to do some of the things that you know he's going to want to do.
0: And I think you know, Wendy, um, a close, so, line, so, Ryan, that was so close, Brian, so close. <laughs> You know, look, you, it's not fun if you call it out. Like, we just have to ignore it and all Speak it Speak for happen. yourself.
2: Speak for yourself.
0: <laughs> we don't call you out every time you screw up the intro. Yes, you do. I oh, just don't yeah, put right. it in the podcast.
1: <laughs> just, <start over>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just not in the show. Um, I think, you know, a friend of the podcast, Wendy, did a, a couple of pieces about him, uh, about Fonseca this week. And, and one thing that I thought was interesting was that maybe the 3-4-3 that he was playing at Roma doesn't necessarily fit, um, at least with our attacking personnel, especially, like, particularly as it's currently constructed. Um, Specifically in that with the attacking, like, the central attackers, the the two central midfielders, and then the two attacking midfielders and the striker, uh, he seems to really like a striker that is more of a poacher, more of playing on the shoulder of the last defender, uh, you know, popping up at the back post to put in uh, tap-ins, that sort of stuff. And that's not really Harry Kane's game. And so you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, maybe this hire is made on the basis of Harry Kane's not going to be around, or more than likely, Harry Kane is around, and Fonseca just has to figure out how to make his system work with one of the best strikers in football. Um, and, and that is kind of the only question that I have about him is um, there was a, there's an interesting documentary that was, I, we found on YouTube that talks about him and his club in the buildup to um, Manchester city match in the champions league. And, and he, there's a quote in there from him about, you know, how he, structures his teams and whether he, you know, adapts to the players he has or what he does. And he says, you know, I have my style and I try to adapt the players to it. And so that worries me a little bit where you're coming into a big club with, you know, clearly big egos and some star players. And you have to wonder, you know, does this system that he's playing at Roma... Does that get the best out of Hungman's son? Does that get the best out of Indominable and Lo Celso and Kane? And, and so I think you're absolutely right. I think the fullback situation is great for us, especially at left back. But what do we? How, how does he either adapt or or use? Go back to the four-two-three-one, the four-three-three that he used at Shakhtar. What does he do to ensure that you know? two of the best attacking players in the world don't waste another season.
1: I mean, he's like... See, it's funny. I, Go ahead, Ben. I took, I, 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 you know, I, I read some stuff and watched some stuff, and the front three was a thing that to me sounded like a pretty good fit for Fonseca. The way I, I had sort of seen it described is, you know, Jekko plays a sort of back-to-goal kind of target man sort of role, with Mctarian and Pedro both playing pretty narrowly off of him, and Mctarian kind of dropping in behind to do creative shit, and Pedro making runs in behind for Jeco to either lay off back to Mctarian to play make or play through to Pedro to run on, and then Jekko would peel off and make his runs into the box and do poacher shit. And I feel like that's a setup where you can pretty comfortably map Deli onto Mctarian coming inside and doing a little creative shit in the 10 spot. Um, Son making those Pedro runs in behind. And I think Kane is pretty comfortable playing back to goal, hold up facilitator. And we know he likes to poach goals in in the box. It's not all of his game. And I think it hasn't been his game under Jose, certainly for the last year and a half, but you know, the big accusations leveled against Kane forever was that he was a tap-in merchant and a penalty merchant, you know, didn't have any anything more dynamic to his game. And so a, a situation where he gets to make those runs into the box and facilitate in some capacity, um, I think, you know, he is good enough and well-rounded enough that I think it's a fit. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's It'll be telling think, to see, you know.
2: You're talking about... yeah. Look at the attackers we have, and don't even get into the midfield. You've got Deli, Son, let's assume Harry Kane, and maybe Gareth Bale. You can do a lot with those players. I mean, there is there is a lot of permutations of an attacking, you know, front that you can sort of assemble and execute with those guys. And I don't know. Maybe after a few years of Mourinho, I should be a little more cautious of like thinking about what common sense applies to managers, but. Yeah, I, I, like Ben said, that's it. That's a system that seems like he could make work with who's going to be in Spurs next year,
1: which may not include, him, but you may may not, or Bale.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I think my concern is is his position on how on on the the I I have a style and I adapt the players to it. So, like, is that a method of man management that will translate to being at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you know, I think you could argue based on kind of the level of the Roma players um, that that he was able to do some of this sort of stuff in terms of molding them or, or, or shoving them, you know, into, into different roles. And, and I think we've seen, you know, from – Spurs players in the past that some of them don't appreciate being played in roles that they don't think are well suited for them or that they don't like. Um, so I don't know. I'm just curious at how that works out. Like, I, I, you know, I do like the other broad strokes that Ben talked about, you know, the attacking football, the high press, like the refusal to like play in a low block. Um, uh, so, so there's lots of good things. One of the other interesting things that I think he does is he uses a coach, um, kind of up high in the in the press box area, sort of, to uh, radio down, uh, you know, feedback during the game, sort of like you know how the NFL the NFL would use an offensive or defensive coordinator. Um, I find that very interesting. I, I've always wondered why that's not something that is more popular in European soccer in terms of just being able to be above and see sort of the shape. And, and the entirety of the field. Only so, innovators like
2: Tim Sherwood want that as part of their game.
0: <laughs> but I, I think it's something, I think it's certainly something different and, and interesting and unique. And, and so I'm interested to see how that plays out at Spurs.
1: Yeah. And it, one of the other components of that, I think I read, was that they also employ a video editor to put together packages of the first half to incorporate into the halftime team talk to go over, like, the match with video, you know, in the middle of the game. Um, and that's another thing that, if I read that right, um, is, a, is a promising thing that I, I don't really feel like we see in European football um, in terms of just having those sort of viewpoints on the match that isn't from the dugout to be able to, like, reconstruct what happened and why it went wrong or why it went right and be able to make adjustments accordingly, um, but Ben, hear me out. What if we hired a coach who just talked about touching balls at halftime? I mean, look—if the you know—if the guy in in the nosebleed seats looking down sees a lack or preponderance of ball touching, like he can address that. And I think bringing that kind of approach to the ball touching question <laughs> is what we've been lacking. Like, you know, you can't just go on your gut feel when it comes to this stuff. I think we've narrowed down with the true problem with Jose was during his <laughs> tenure at Spurs.
0: Yeah, no video evidence of ball touching and his dog died. You know, it, um, it's
2: it's funny as we're talking about this. I read the same thing and it hadn't really occurred to me as we were talking about this how, like, I feel like in a lot of ways American sports are ahead on some of this stuff or at least have, like, game some of this stuff out maybe because there's just fewer traditions around some of this stuff. But, you know, like, every football team at virtually every level has, like, somebody sitting in a booth, like, you know, up in the middle of the stadium, like, you know, watching down, calling into the sideline, and, you know, offering suggestions or analysis, and it's just sort of like, as we talk about it, it's occurring to me, it's like, it's a little crazy that all soccer teams in Europe don't have this kind of thing as well.
0: It's a a very... Look, it's just a very weird, like, I don't know, quirk of the game where it's just like managers should be in a suit and they should be on the, or, or weirdly in sweatpants. Um, and they There's should, a, s- nothing in
1: between. Those are your <laughs> two options. <laughs> yeah,
0: really. Tell that to Ryan Mason, Sweater. Man. <laughs> um, and, and you have to be standing or crouching or sitting on a cooler right on the sideline. And it's I just mean, like, this American football, football too. You know yeah. this in
2: American football, too. Any coach is going to be on the sideline. They just have to pay guys to sit up in the booth for them.
0: Yeah, but it's also still just like, it's very weird that 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 is just the traditional view of how this game should be managed. and And the fact that someone might be receiving radio instructions from someone up in a booth is like, Amazing. Like, how how long has the NFL had like headsets on the sidelines? Like, I don't know, the '80s, the you know, like I, I don't know. Like, how often do we see in the NFL? You know, a quarterback comes over to the sideline and picks up a telephone and is like, "All right, what did they do? Why did I throw that interception?" Like, how, how when can we start getting Harry Kane and Toby Alderweireld headsets for on the pitch so they can actually receive instructions? When they're both the playing for the Jets
2: in a few years. <laughs> I mean,
0: great, perfect. Uh, you know, I, but, I, but I do think seriously that, that just trying stuff like that, whether whether it actually is impactful or actually valuable, uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Just, like, let's try some stuff. Like, we, we're a team that we've talked about this. Like, you have to operate on, you know, marginal gains. Like, we're not going to spend the money to make big jumps. We're never going to buy players for 100, 150 million pounds. So what can we do? All right, well, let's do scouting really well. Let's do player development really well. Like let, you know and, and we've gotten away from all of those things. Mm. We, we, we haven't been on the forefront of analytics. We haven't had the, the football like backroom staff situation that we should have had for probably the last decade. And now we're behind. And so, like, if anybody starts to do any of these things to give us some of these marginal gains, that'll be great.
2: Well, apparently Spurs have this, like, cutting-edge sports science staff, and Pocino used the hell out of them, and Mourinho really didn't. And I think that's, like, a big part of why we hired a guy like Fonseca. It's, like, we want someone who's amenable to doing these things again. I mean, I think there is something deeply tragic about we want some. We want a Pochettino-like substance when we, you know. And I think there's a lot of blame to go around and for why Pochettino's is not here anymore. But you know, we let the we let the guy who we really modeled this position after walk out the door. So, but I think you know, putting that aside because it is water under the bridge at this point. You know, it is whatever else you think of this higher, It is good that we are at least moving in that direction again, and maybe. Maybe you view it as a problem that we are looking at a guy like Conte. Maybe you look at it as a problem that we are talking to all these different guys. But at least we are moving back in the direction of someone who plays positive football and looks at these kind of innovations like you were talking about, Brian. And it's just like it can't be a bad thing this is the direction we're sort of moving in. <laughs> I mean, it could be. I guess it could be. So what
0: Anything could be a bad thing when it comes to Spurs, right? So let's,
2: let's talk about, speaking of directions we're moving in and things that could or could not be a bad thing, um, Peretici is our new director of football. Uh, you know, sort of right as his hiring was becoming more and more of a, you know, it was, it was being discussed as to what his job would entail, the, the Fonseca stuff came out. And I think the Fonseca hire has communicated to people, or at least the, the, the sort of reporting is that he's being given way more authority than previous directors of football, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And the Fonseca hire certainly, I think, is a bit of a testament to that, because that doesn't feel like a Daniel Levy hire to me. I, 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 how do you feel, Ben? We'll start with you. How do you feel about you know Peretti in charge, or or the? that we have moved in this direction with this particular person. I know we talked a
1: little bit about this last week, but now that it is a reality. Yeah, I mean, as a general principle, having a director of football who is running the football side of things, I feel great about. I think that is something that has needed to happen for a very long time. Uh, I'm glad it is happening. Um, I think there are question marks that I have about Peritici himself and how good at this job he actually is, how much is he benefiting from working for a guy like Beppe Murata, how much is he benefiting from working at a club with resources like Juventus but But I think that muddies the waters
2: a little bit if I'm being honest like Juve's Juve I mean we can't discount what he did there I'm not saying that but you know I don't think as, as many dumb decisions decisions that we made over the last few years I don't think Daniel Levy hired him expecting him to like act like he did at Juventus. Like, you know, clearly there's some level of, you know, fitting sort of the, I don't know, the the mission statement of the club. I I don't know how you want to put it, but I I think it's a very opaque position. And I think it's very hard to sort of judge a lot of directors of football. And I think coming out of a club like Juventus more so than most, I think it's extremely hard to judge what he did and what was it. What was... What was and wasn't just sort of like being done to the standards
1: of Juventus, for lack of a better term. Right. It's hard to translate that back to a club like Spurs. Or
2: any other and club. I think... Like, I think Juventus is an extremely weird, unique club. And even by big club standards, I think Juventus is a bit of a strange outfit.
0: And I think the interesting thing about the hire and that the interviews that have come out since the hire is that he's not just being brought in to – kind of be a a, a recruitment specialist or to handle squad building. Like he's literally here to do all football stuff. And that includes, you know, the Academy that includes the women's team, the, the reserves. Um, And I find it interesting that Daniel Levy is willing to relinquish that level of control over, Basically the entire football side of everything.
2: You know, Levy's put out a bunch of statements over the last... Between the statement in the last program at the end of the year and that video that he put out, uh, I think on Saturday of this weekend. And I know a lot of us, and I understand why, assume that it's just sort of like corporate bullshit designed to sort of mollify the fans after some bad seasons. But, like, he's never done stuff like that before. I mean, at least... The level of sort of contrition on display in these statements, I think is fairly new for him. Whether it's just he realizes it's ugly and has to say something or whether it's he realizes something needs to change, this is not something we have seen before out of him at this club. And I think maybe we're a little too quick to dismiss that he understood things needed to change because I think the Paratici era so far, I mean just just hiring Fonseca, I think, is evidence. that It seems to be evidence that he is giving up at least more control of this than we expected.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we've seen him give away control in and, and, and drips and drabs over the years, other directors of football, you know. We, we've ha- had him sort of transform his way of doing things to care to different managerial hires and, you know, whether that's a director of football or letting Harry Redknapp or Jose Mourinho do everything because they wanted to, um, you know, he has been kind of malleable in that respect, but I think the level of control he's exerted has always seemed to be tied to this grander vision of turning Spurs from a club that was nowhere, you know, mid table afterthought kind of football team to, a a true, you know, power in England. And I think, you know, to look at this charitably, the last couple of years has kind of revealed that that part of the journey is done and Levy's vision for this club has kind of been achieved, but the next step that we need to take has appeared to be beyond him, especially with all the other, you know, business things that come with it, whether that's, negotiating naming rights for a stadium or joining the European super league, like his mind is on other things. Um, And so if he is willing at this point to realize, okay, my, my prime goal of turning Spurs into like a big, big six, top four competing competing team who competes in European football regularly is achieved. um, What's phase two. You know, this looks like it could be the beginning of whatever that phase two might be. And I, I'm not generally inclined to look at things charitably when it comes to Daniel Levy. He has fucked us up uh, too many times in the last few years for me to feel particularly good about how he's running this club. But I, I guess that's what I would say, to look at, at this positively.
0: Well, and I mean, I think one of the criticisms of Levy in recent years has been you know, that he doesn't know how to run Spurs now that we are a big club. That he was comfortable handling the transition from Spurs going from consistently 8th, ninth, 10th to, you know, 6th, 5th, 4th. But now that we are, with the exception of the last couple seasons, consistently top four and competing in the Champions League and being a major international brand... Um, that he's a little bit out of his depth. And so for someone like Peritici, who comes from, you know, like Greg said, a weird club in Juventus, he does come from a big club. uh, You know, a, a, a club that has ambitions not, not only on the men's football side, but, you know, in terms of developing young players, in terms of their women's football team, which is won the Serie A title four years in a row um, in terms of uh, just, you know, in terms of being a global brand. And so if Paratici can take away the, the football aspect of running the big club, which he clearly has experience in, regardless of whether, you know, we attribute whatever amount of his success to Beppe Murata or or whatever – If nothing else, in the last three years, he was in charge at Juventus. Um, And and so that is a step. So, like, whether – I don't think we will know for a couple years how good of a hire this was. And, you know, the people that are going back and looking at Juve's transfer record and trying to say, all right, this was a good one, this was bad, this was good, this was bad, you know, without knowing – what is he responsible for? What is Murata responsible for? What is the coach responsible for? I don't think that that is ever going to be a great evaluative tool for us. I think the only way we're going to be able to tell is if we get to the end of the summer and we look back and we're like, I don't know, looks like we did some pretty good business. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I think I think that director of football is such a hard role to evaluate that you can really only evaluate them based on, hide, excuse me, hindsight.
2: I'll tell you what's really frustrating about him right now, at this moment in time, and it's not his fault, is he's been, because he's an Italian guy who was managing Juventus, we're being linked with every Italian player or Italy-based player under the sun right now, which, while it's great for making memes about Italians on the internet, is a little frustrating because the Italian media, without exception, just makes shit up and they don't have the sort of like clear biases that you can get out of. Re- you know, when, when, when you see rumors in Germany or Spain, for instance, you can kind of parse who's the paper, what's the paper's loyalties, what's the paper's biases. You can sort of figure a lot of that out. In Italy, it just makes shit up. So we're just like being linked with all these Italian and Italian based players that. You know, I just have no clue what's real and what's not, so I can't even. You know, um, we've been linked with Thuram out of. Um, yeah, I fucked that up. Sorry, out of a uh, bunch of Glaubach, which is Thuram. Thuram, there you go. We've been linked with him. That's really positive. He's an excellent player. Uh, I, I'm a little and
1: not in Italy. So. Not in Italy. You're right,
2: which makes it you know makes it more of a more I choose to believe it's real, but at the same time, like. We're being linked with a player like we're apparently broke boys right now. And, you know, I mean, I know Levy did put out a statement, or or it was Fabrizio, one of the reporters, one of the legitimate reporters put something out where any sales we have are going to be pumped into central defense. So I think he's going to cost a fair amount of money. Do we really need an attacking winger right now, as good as he is? I, I would love to see him at Spurs, but, I mean, what we really need right now is center backs.
1: Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things that we've heard rumors about with Peritici that is, again, depending on how charitably you're inclined to look at this, either really encouraging or Daniel Levy being a cheapskate, is uh, for his extensive knowledge of Italian football contracts, and particularly those contracts that may or may not have release clauses or uh, other kinds of you know, gimmicks we can exploit. I, that, um, I don't care if we're
2: being cheap. That, that is actually, if that is true, that is a huge positive.
1: Right. And like one of the things, you know, in, that Italy had until very recently was, um, kind of co-ownership deals and where multiple clubs could kind of buy a stake in a, in a player while somebody else, while he played for somebody else. Um, and then at, at some point they would either have to buy out the other half of that ownership or sell their stake in the ownership. Um, and, of course, Juventus was a club that would just buy co-ownership stakes in fucking anybody who was remotely promising because, you know, if you buy it early and cheap, then that saves you money in the long run. So it does stand to reason that the guy running that for Juventus would have a pretty good idea of what contracts look like, not just at players at Juve, but at players all over Italy that Juve had their grubby little fingers in. Um, so... You know, one of the guys who have been linked with today was uh, Berardi at Sassuolo, who was man, a guy... the heroes are
2: being played. I think you need to say it correctly with your fingers pinched.
1: <laughs> How do you say his the name? Medical, I, There man. you go, okay. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but yeah, who was a player that Juve had a co-ownership deal with Sassuolo with until they, they sold their stake. Um, so, you know, the, stuff like that is a really interesting thing that we might be able to leverage to get some good deals um, in a summer where we don't have a lot of funds to reinvest in the squad and we have a lot of business to do, um, whether whether we sell cane or not. But being able to get a bunch of Italians for cheap, um, yeah, it's not the worst thing. We'll they looked really good against Turkey. <laughs> so, hey, paizan.
2: So perfect for the conference league. <laughs>
1: Molto bene.
2: Molto bene. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's I, I just think what's most interesting about Paratiti right now is the fact that I mean, Fonseca is such a left field hire that it seems to indicate he's being given a level of control that I don't think any of us anticipated. So we're going to see how it goes. Uh, you know, apparently, We'll see if Fonseca is wearing a Zorro mask by the end of the season.
0: He was a Spurs-branded Zorro mask.
2: First, like the one Harry Kane wore a few years ago, okay, that, that that kind of story yeah. mask. Yeah. So let's wrap it up as the summer is here and we don't have as much football to talk about. I, I want to do some recommendations. Uh, I don't care what it is, Ben. What would you recommend uh, that our, our listeners do with their time? Uh, what 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 movie, book, game, thing, activity would you recommend to our listeners that has been making your life better in the last in the
1: last couple of weeks? So. It's pretty crazy. They have this thing called the Euros this summer where oh you get to watch God, you nerd. players go play with like totally different players just because they happen to come from the same no, country. No, and it's in the past. Do it's all
2: happening stuff. last year, but we didn't get to see it because it's the 2020 Euros.
0: It's the Champions League, but for countries.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Jesus. I don't know. If you guys don't know about this, check it out. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, that's, that's real help. Sorry, right, go to Brian. You really blindsided me with this question. I didn't oh yeah, I blindsided talk. you. Okay,
2: you want me to come back to you, Ben, after I go to Brian, or you just want to waste your answer on the Euros?
1: Oh, you can come back to me.
2: You want England and Croatia <laughs> to be your answer, really? You want to pre- all the, you want to pretend the English team is good? You want that to be your answer? All right, Brian. what well, would I you... want
0: to hear what Greg's answer is before. No, 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 I, no, no, no Brian, Brian. You're up next. Lose. I'm the host.
2: You're up next, Brian. What's what would you recommend to the people? What 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 what? five-part trash-ass fantasy
0: series are you gonna to recommend to the people oh, here no i can't we've already i've given up on my five or it's only four parts so far um uh you know i mean going outside is nice i've heard that that's good for oh you Oh my God. um let's see um what what am i doing um i read a lot um, I'd recommend reading. It's Any good. specific and, book, Brian?
2: God, you guys are uh, so all bad.
0: books. Yeah. All books are good. Um, I recently read. Um, what did I read? Is it um, a memory called Empire? I think is the second one. Um, a desolation called Peace. Is that the first one or is that no, the second the one? that's the second one. Okay, that one. I read that one, um, which is a good fantasy book, um, or excuse me, sci-fi novel, whatever. I. Greg, we really should have prepared more for this set. Yeah, so, no,
2: I, I not like I told you guys at the beginning of this that I was
0: I going mean, to you there. said, "Hey, maybe we should do a okay, recommendation." Okay, all, right, all right. All right. And
2: I will then, recommend uh, the great actor Ned Beatty died this week. Uh, he has been in several excellent movies like Network, which he's uh, weirdly Network is rem- is remembered for the I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore speech. I think Ned Beatty gives a superior monologue in that movie. Well, worth checking out. I would, as a Baltimorean, I cannot help but recommend uh, the first three seasons of Homicide, Life on the Street, where uh, Ned Beatty plays Stanley Bolander, a very put upon homicide detective. He is excellent in the role. Uh, I would always recommend watching Homicide. It's a, it's an it's extremely good show that is a forerunner of The Wire if you have not checked it out. Unfortunately, is not streaming. Well,
0: I've heard The Wire is
2: really good. Yeah, The Wire. Hey, you guys is should really watch good. The Wire. And Living in Baltimore two? Is, is exactly. It is exactly like like The Wire. So, anyway, if you can track down the first three seasons of Homicide, I would highly recommend that. Ben, you want to give, like, a real answer, or do you just want to talk about, like, so, breathing or so something? So, first,
1: first I have a really embarrassing confession to make. Uh, until, until he died, I thought Ned was somehow, like, a nickname for Warren, and that Ned Beatty was just a casual way of saying Warren Beatty, and that they were the same what? guy. <laughs> How dare
2: you? <laughs> How dare I, mean, I had no
1: idea he was a whole separate individual. Oh my god. He's been in like he's got at least
2: three extremely famous movie parts, let alone the rest of his work.
1: Well, I don't know. I just thought it was like, oh yeah, my buddy Ned. That's me and Warren are really close, so I call him Ned. I don't I don't know what's short for Warren. It could be Ned.
0: <laughs> Look, oh. I said it was an
1: embarrassing confession, and here we are. Um, I mean, I
0: feel like that's one you could have kept to yourself. I know, but look. <laughs> like, like, I know bro. we're on a podcast, and it's incumbent upon us to come up with interesting things to say. I ignore that a lot, but, like, you didn't have to tell anybody. <laughs> that.
1: You know, uh, that's the difference between you. You could have even podcast. waited till
0: after we stopped recording. You could have been like, hey, by the way, guys, just so you know. Uh, you could, yeah. That yeah. People have could have put that
1: on our crypto-funded dark web
2: podcast,
1: supplemental podcast instead. Sorry, guys. I value transparency, and I don't hide from my listeners. I I am unflinching, and if yeah,
2: Ben Daniels doesn't
1: hide from his listeners. No. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> with his extremely um, real name. That's right. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, recommendations. Despite what The Guardian would tell you, it is the thirty year anniversary of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, and it is actually still wonderful and good. And if you can't get past Kevin Costner not having a British accent, that's that's your fault because who cares? Um, it is it is
0: still perfectly wonderful. You, is you know that the best Kevin Costner movie? No, it's not Bull no. Durham.
2: Yes, Bull Durham is the best Kevin Costner movie. It's not like a deep list. so like... It's
0: not even the best Kevin Costner baseball movie. No, no. Okay. it's definitely the best Kevin it Costner. It is definitely, definitely the best Kevin Costner baseball nah, movie. No, I like For Love of the Game better.
1: <laughs> that was a good one, Brian. That was a really good one. <laughs> uh, the best Kevin Costner movie is. Uh, it's Purple. It is the Clint Eastwood movie where Kevin Costner is an escaped convict who kidnaps a kid and goes on, like, a, a little road trip together. It's Clint Eastwood's best movie, and it's Kevin Costner's best movie. What's it and, called, Ben? Uh, What's the um, name of this movie? A Perfect World. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you couldn't remember the name
2: of it.
0: I was
1: talking... No, I said I it. Brian's just loud.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Brian's everybody. Brian's
1: loud one. Just talking over everybody.
0: Well guys, I think this conversation
2: really started in a valley, but it really I think we really really dug it out. So I'm I'm proud of all of us. <laughs> Brian, do you have anything you want to add that now that you can sort of remember the name of books and you've had a minute to think about it or not really?
0: Um, I mean, I would just definitely say don't start um a chorus of dragons, um, which is like a fantasy series. There's four books in it now. You'll get to- book and you'll be like why am i doing this you'll buy the fourth book on amazon you'll get 10 percent of the way through you'll go i don't know if i can do this anymore you read 10 percent more you'll go all right definitely can't do this anymore and then you'll do a podcast and then probably go read another 20 or 30 pages um because you're glutton for punishment so don't do that to yourself just throwing it out there fair enough brian where can people find you on the internet <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y.
2: Ben, where can people find you talking about Kevin Costner on the internet?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. There's a Y in there somewhere. You sure it's not Costner U Spurs? Oh, it should be.
2: <laughs> it should be now, yeah. <laughs> Next week, we got to come up with something to talk about this summer, guys. We're going to do all Kevin Costner <laughs> It's just the worst idea anyone's ever had. Ten
0: minute monologue on why, for love of the game, is better than Boulder. <laughs>
2: Brian, the challenge, the gauntlet has been thrown down. <laughs> it is yours to pick up. You can find me on Twitter at skipjack0079. I, I'm sure I talk about Kevin Costner eventually, but I hope not. Um, and don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR, as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a five star review on iTunes if you haven't already. For Ben, for Brian, for Brett Rainbow, and of course for Kevin Koster, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.